0: Monday underway and it means we must get underway with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. How you doing? Hope you had a great weekend and as we look forward, plenty to go on here in this early growing season, plenty to keep track of and uh, we're going into uh, another one of our months here. We are in the midst of Dairy Month and we're focusing a little bit of that attention on uh, the dairy industry and here to tell us a little more about it is susan littlefield
1: i tell you i'm utterly excited that it's June Dairy Month. Yeah. We're going to have, coming up, uh, we're going to find out more about the dairy industry, the tariffs of Mexico, and how it's affecting the cheese industry. As former Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack, who, of course, is now headed up as the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, we'll talk more about that with me. At uh, 12.15, if you've got cedar tree problems like I know we do in one field, we're going to learn more about cedar tree management through use of fire and then taking place at 117. We all knew that the EPA Administrator, Scott Pruitt, spent some time in Nebraska last week. We're going to hear his comments on the renewable fuel standard and his opinion on expanding E15 sales year-round. So uh, that's from the Farm Department.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Susan. Over to uh, Jason Jorgensen we go. CWS off and running. It
2: is off and running. They were able to get the first weekend in. They did have a delay yesterday in that Arkansas and Texas game. Not that Arkansas cared too much, as uh, they had a big, big sixth inning, and they were able to blow away Texas. We'll hear from former Nebraska head coach Dave Van Horn. It's always painful to see him coaching in Arkansas it really is. and having success, because I mean the Huskers weren't able to maintain things with the program after he has been gone. But he's done a wonderful job at Arkansas, in their one and zero two more games are on tap this afternoon and tonight hopefully they can get those in and the showers and thunderstorms stay away from omaha also we will hear from former husker and Kozan native jared crick he's actually a free agent this summer in the nfl Mm -hmm. he uh, missed all of last year which was his contract year, which is the the wrong year to get hurt especially in the nfl but he is looking to come back from back surgery we will get his thoughts about how his recovery is going on and what kind of his plans are as he tries to latch on to another team. He has spent six years in the NFL, and if his, if his body will heal, he would love to keep playing a little bit more. And we'll talk uh, some World Cup, as uh, Germany was knocked off yesterday by Mexico 1-0. Mm-hmm. And they claim that when Mexico scored that goal, with everyone jumping up and down in Mexico, yeah, right. they, it may have actually caused a little bit of an earthquake. Really? Yes. That's what they're claiming. Earthquake. With everybody that excited, it moved the needle.
0: I was going to (laughs) say, with the history, Mexico doesn't need any more (laughs) earthquakes. So lay off, you guys. Uh, Here's Bob Brogan with a little business news
3: for
4: us. Wall Street's a little bit lower today. And uh, also, GM is going to get rid of three Cadillac sedans. The court is blocking a millionaire tax question on the Massachusetts ballots. So those are some of the things going on today. All right. Thanks very much, everybody. Appreciate
0: it. Hope you'll stay with us here on your Rural Radio Network station. You are listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. We have Paul Perkins in here check into our regional ag weather and we have a little chance of a little relief but a lot of relief to come
5: Yeah, exactly much cooler weather on the way for the weekend some good chances at some rain maybe some heavy rain already the goodland weather service putting out a flash flood watch for far southwest nebraska northwest kansas and northeast colorado and that doesn't go into effect for till tomorrow afternoon into tomorrow night so definitely potential for some heavy rain on the way but a big variety in weather across the region right now.
0: Very easy to predict that one, apparently, because <laughs> they are all on the same page with that one. Your weather is being brought to you this hour by Coolman Repair.
5: That cold front was anticipated to be a little bit farther to the east yesterday and Saturday, but it has kind of stalled out currently from about north central Nebraska into southwest Nebraska and northwest Kansas. And a big difference in those temperatures with this front, temperatures ranging from the upper 50s in the northwest border of Nebraska towards Chadron and Gordon, where they have a temperature of 57. It's 92 at Salina, 90 at Beatrice right now. Right in the middle, we have some mid to upper 60s from Ord to Broken Bow, North Platte, and Imperial. Right from about McCook to Lexington and Holdridge, some mid to upper 70s. Then, as you head from the Tri-Cities on it to eastern Nebraska and Kansas, a lot of temperatures in the mid to upper 80s. A very warm day, and of course, the humidity is up there. You can really feel it out there. That nearly stalled cold front, once again, north-central to southwest Nebraska, causing the big difference in temperatures across the area. It may a little, move a little bit farther to the north today and help to warm uh, things up a little bit more farther north to go. So it's just depending on where you're at from that front is how warm it's going to be. Scattered thunderstorms is going to be possible later today, especially near that front. Late in the day into tonight, the severity of any storms will be determined by how much sun we see. It looks like the higher risk of severe weather is going to be over northeast Nebraska, mainly from about, oh, we'll call the Spalding area, which is just east of Ord and points to the northeast. Low pressure approaches from the west tomorrow. That's going to allow for thunderstorms to develop over the high plains of Nebraska and Kansas tomorrow evening and move into central and and east areas in the overnight. Tomorrow is when we're really going to see the good rain chances. Potential of heavy rain and localized flooding are possible, especially right near that front as they expected to stall right near the Nebraska-Kansas border. Low pressure will slowly track east across the area. That'll keep those good chances for thunderstorms going Wednesday through Thursday before it finally tapers off for a bit on Friday. Then another low is expected late Friday night into Saturday. and Right now that looks like it could lead to a weekend filled with more thunderstorm chances. In the long-term forecast, that does verify a major change on the way, a good likelihood for Nebraska and Kansas temperatures to actually start cooler than normal this weekend and early next week. Temperatures will be seasonal or near normal by the middle of next week through the 1st of July, but we're going to have bookend warmer than normal temperatures in the east and the west of us. Above normal rainfall starts the forecast this weekend and early next week for Nebraska and Kansas. Near normal rainfall expected for the second half of next week all the way through July 1st. Weather factors in the markets include promising rain chances for much of the Midwest and only brief disruptions to the Southern Plains wheat harvest. Cooler weather will prevail for the remainder of the week in several areas of the country. Heat, though, will linger in the next few days in much of the eastern U.S. and gradually return across the far west. Heavy rain will affect numerous areas, including a broad area from the northern Rockies into the mid-Atlantic. Five-day rain totals could reach 2 to 4 inches across the western Corn Belt. In the Midwest, there will be a brief round of heat stress to the south and east Midwest crops early on this week. Frequent thunderstorms, though, in store the rest of the week, along with cooler temperatures, and that will allow favorable crop conditions to return. Across the southern plains, very hot and mostly dry weather this past weekend. Helped out with the wheat harvest, but also stressed the row crops. Thunderstorms and more seasonal temperatures expected in some areas tomorrow and Wednesday. Those conditions will ease the stress on summer crops, but also somewhat disrupt the wheat harvest.
0: Your regional ag weather has been brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. Boy, I'm looking at these temperatures across Nebraska right now. Quite a spread.
5: Yeah, unbelievable. 90 in Beatrice to 57 at Gordon and Shadron right wow. now. Northwest to southeast. Big difference on those temperatures.
0: Definitely have that uh, that line setting up for tonight. So if we get anything out of that, of course, we'll bring you up to date on the latest here on our Storm Center. And we want to remind you that when you need weather anytime.
5: KRBN.com. KRBN.com. <laughs>
6: Would help promote farmer group health plans. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at your ag news for a Monday. The farm bill could be used next year to offer some relief for farmers from high health care insurance premiums they face. Association health plans or AHPs have become an avenue touted by the Trump administration to reduce health insurance costs for small employers. The U.S. Department of Labor has a proposal, which could become final any day, to expand the use of AHPs. The plans could provide a potentially cheaper insurance option for millions of people, including 6 million small business employees and 3 million sole proprietors. Under the proposed rule, AHPs would be allowed for businesses with a commonality of interests, such as farmers. The Labor Department is dropping requirements that businesses must have at least one employee, which would broaden AHPs to sole Proprietors and the association doesn't have to exist solely to market health coverage so farm groups and others can create plans. Boosting the Department of Labor plan, the House version of the Farm Bill has language allowing USDA to provide up to $65 million in grants to farm trade associations for support and technical assistance to create Agricultural Association health plans. The bill also allows up to $15 million annually in loans to establish health plans. The Senate Farm Bill, however, does not have comparable language included in its version. The AHPs basically allow small employers to pool together for health policies, though it's likely the rules coming out under the Department of Labor will not have all of the requirements demanded of health insurance policies under the Affordable Care Act. The Labor Department calls AHPs an innovative option for expanding access to employer-sponsored coverage, especially for small businesses. And speaking of the Farm Bill, an amendment to the Senate version that recently passed out of the Ag Committee contains an amendment that would remove hemp from the federal definition of marijuana. The amendment, sponsored by Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, would free up hemp farmers to receive federal crop insurance under the 2018 Farm Bill. I think it's time we took this step, McConnell told Senate Ag Committee last week. I think everybody has now figured out that this is clearly not the other plant, McConnell says. People in his home state who grew up with tobacco are hoping this will turn into a viable crop. As we all know, hemp is very diversified, McConnell says. It can end up in your car dashboard. It can end up in your food. It can also end up in pharmaceuticals. It's time to figure out and see where the market will take us. Not all of the Ag Committee members supported the change, including Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. While the bill may be modified during Senate floor debate, hemp industry experts aren't expecting much change because of good bipartisan support. And the Upper Big Blue and Natural Resources District is embarking on the first ever combined water quality management and voluntary integrated management planning processes in partnership with both the Nebraska Department of Environmental Quality and the Nebraska Department of Natural Resources. The Upper Big Blue NRD viewed the separate planning processes as a way to combine two inseparable priorities for water quantity and quality into a consolidated planning process that fully engages citizens within the district to help inform the goals and objectives for both plans. The theme for this project is One District, Two Plans, One Water. Both plans will help to inform future water management decisions to ensure sustainable water quality and quantity in the district for generations to come. This combined planning approach provides the Upper Big Blue NRD and the citizens of its district with a comprehensive view of its water resources in a more time-efficient and cost-effective manner. More on that at ruralradio.com. You're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network.
4: Good afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. On the plains of Nebraska and across the Midwest, a fight is underway to try and reclaim natural prairie scapes from the red cedar invasion. Eastern red cedar, commonly called cedar or juniper, is a tree native to much of Nebraska. But over the past several decades, the population of the tree has exploded. In a UNL study, after 15 to 30 years, cedar trees multiplying over a pasture can consume 75 to 80 percent of its grazing capacity. One of the most effective control methods for the trees is a prescribed burn. Terry Adiel with the NRCS office was the original fire starter in central Nebraska nearly 20 years ago.
7: I, got, I was doing a lot of range work at the time, and I just, I mean, I could not see any way around the encroachment except for doing prescribed burn. And I had a, three friends that worked for NRCS that we gathered together. Uh, Lisa McMillan Mac- from uh, up at Custer County, Beth Hyatt in Buffalo County, and Tracy from from Lincoln County, and we uh, we got together and we decided that that something had to be done, something needed to be done, and I had been reading and studying a lot on the prescribed burn, which was, I mean my goodness i it, this was like the tip of the iceberg, and we got together with the extension agents in our counties and also some of the n r d um, bill carhart was it was a founding member and we had a, a forester which it's interesting to have a forester because he he thought of uh, things that we didn't think of as far as we didn't want to eradicate at that time which that was not going to be a possibility anyway but we started in 95 and we we came up with a, a vision we came up with a statement that we wanted to uh, have for what we wanted to accomplish and we decided the first thing we wanted to accomplish was to have some education, because no one really was prescribed burning at that time. And so we started with, with just having a school a year. And we thought, naively, we would just have a, a demo burn at, in the afternoon. We would do the school in the morning, have the demo burn in the afternoon. Well. That never worked out because of the weather and the prescriptions. But once we got into it, we had a variety of, of educators that came to help. And we held it various places around these four counties to try to get the word out. Once we got that done, uh, we did have a couple of prescribed burns, a couple of demo burns, but nothing like what is going on now. This is, to me, remarkable. I, I, I couldn't have guessed it would gotten to this point.
4: While there's plenty of proof in the research, Adil says the real aha moment for producers comes when they see a prescribed burn in action.
7: The producers are more wary of the agency people, so when they see someone else doing it, that's their aha moment. They see that, that what has happened not only to get rid of the of the cedar trees, but also what it does to the grass. It's amazing what, what happens with the grass. It's like a growth stimulant for the native grasses. And I think that what their aha moment is when and they see their neighbors doing it, and they see success.
4: A DO recommends starting the prescribed burn conversation with your local NRCS office if you believe it could help your range management practices. When you want to stay up to date in the fast-paced world of agriculture, use the Rural Radio Network on air, online, on Facebook and Twitter.
0: It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. and time to check sports with
2: Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Luke Bonfield hit the go-ahead home run in the fifth, and Arkansas broke it open with an eight-run sixth in their eleven-five victory over Texas yesterday at the College World Series. Head coach Dave Van Horn feels that was certainly a big part of the game. You know, the big swing of the day was Luke Bonfield. We went from two down two to one to up three to two, and
5: uh, happened with two outs. That was that. That was the swing we were looking for to get us going a little
2: bit, and then obviously we set up the, the beginning, had a couple runs in, had a rain delay. and In the other game, Texas Tech upset top-ranked Florida 6-3. to three. Now, coming up later on this afternoon, it's an elimination game at 1 Central time as Oregon State battles Washington. The winner's bracket matchup tonight at 6 has North Carolina against Mississippi State. Brooks Koepka closed with a 2-under 68 when the U.S. opened by one stroke over Tommy Fleetwood. Kepka is the first player since Curtis Strange way back in 1989 to successfully defend his U.S. Open title. Fleetwood had a day to remember, finishing second after becoming just the sixth player to ever shoot a 63 at the Open. Former Huskers star and Cozad native Jared Crick is still looking for a team as NFL mini camps are going on this summer. Crick missed all of last year with the Broncos after injuring his back in training camp, but he says dealing with that type of injury was tough.
7: My career in the NFL, I've always,
0: you know, I've stayed relatively healthy, um, but you know, I think it was just one of them things. I played, I think it was 1,200 snaps in 2016. I think my body just was pretty tired from it. I mean, all the all the wear and tear. I mean, there's not really an exercise. And as everybody knows, you get three months off, and during that three months, you're still training, you're still working out. So your body never really gets time to just completely shut down. And-
2: Crick continues to rehab after surgery and figures he's not about 85%. He hopes to be 100% and signed with a new team when training camp opens up next week. Former Husker has spent the last six years in the NFL with stops at both Denver and Houston. The Nebraska high school rodeo season came to an end over the weekend. The girls' year-end all-around award went to Bailey Wood of Valentine. The boys' year-end all-around winner was Chase Miller from Broken Bow. And Germany has become the third defending champion in 16 years to lose its opening match of the World Cup. The Germans fell to Mexico yesterday, leaving them with a tougher test to qualify for the knockout stages. Germany is trying to become the first team to retain the World Cup title since Brazil accomplished that way back in 1962. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are
8: listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly cloudy tonight in Nebraska with a chance of thunderstorms across the state. I'm Dave Schroeder. The Nebraska State Patrol is seeking the public's help in locating a person wanted on multiple charges out of Chase County. An arrest warrant has been issued for Cody G. Huff. He's age 30 for the offenses of first-degree assault, kidnapping, terroristic threats, use of a weapon to commit a felony, possession of a firearm by a prohibited person. A new court in Nebraska is working with veterans facing felony charges to get their lives back on track. Lancaster County Veterans Treatment Court has accepted six veterans into the program since it began about a year ago. The court serves combat veterans with little or no criminal record before their service ended who are honorably discharged and have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder or traumatic brain injury. Corey Starks has both and was facing two felony drug charges. He says a program is a full-time job, but it's helping him transition back into society. Coordinator Tony Connell says a program is beginning to welcome more applicants. He says they're looking to extend treatment to combat veterans with mental health disorders beyond PTSD and brain trauma. A man wanted on warrants led Merrick County deputies in a pursuit through the county over the weekend. Deputies attempted to stop a PT cruiser on Highway 30 early Saturday, but the suspect didn't stop. Eventually, the pursuit ceased, and the suspect was taken into custody and transported to the Merrick County Corrections. 35-year-old Corey Kleinbill of Omaha was arrested on a Buffalo and Douglas County warrants, as well as felony flight to avoid arrest, driving under suspension, and fictitious plates. Kleinbill was taken into custody with, with no major incident, and no one was injured. He's being held at Merrick County Corrections without bond. Two Kansas deputies killed in the line of duty will be laid to rest Thursday following a joint funeral service. Wyandotte County deputies Teresa King and Patrick Rohrer were fatally shot Friday. Authorities say they were killed by an inmate as they were preparing to leave the courthouse to return to jail after a hearing. The funeral service is 9 a.m. Thursday at Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City, Kansas. The World Health Organization says some obsessive video gamers may really have an addiction. In its latest revision to a disease classification manual, the UN Health Agency said that compulsively playing video games now qualifies as a mental health condition. WHO says classifying gaming disorder as a separate condition will help governments, families, and health care workers be more vigilant about identifying the risks for some gamers. Storm Center coverage 24-7. Catch it on air, Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
1: Work continues with Mexico when it comes to cheese. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Mexico is an important export market for American dairy, specifically when it comes to cheese. Mexico takes up to 28% of all U.S. cheese exports, which means it buys more American cheese than any other market. Mexico did put a tariff in place in response to the tariffs on steel and aluminum put into effect by the president. U.S. Dairy Export Council President and CEO Tom Vilsack says those tariffs on cheese will potentially eliminate the competitive advantages they have in their number one market.
9: Well, you know, actually... We started about a year ago to begin uh, traveling to Mexico to visit with Mexican dairy producers and processors and Mexican government officials to let them know how important it was to maintain the relationship between the United States and Mexico in the dairy uh, area. Mexico is our number one market. Uh, Cheese is an incredibly important aspect of that market, and we wanted to make sure that despite the conversations that were taking place in Washington, D.C., that the dairy industry was very appreciative of the Mexican market. Uh, when the administration pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, that created the first problem that we had to confront, which is the uh, European Union came in and negotiated a free trade agreement. And with that free trade agreement, they received protections for certain types of cheeses uh, so that they can now only be the ones to sell uh, feta or uh, cheeses like, like that. Um, that obviously impacts and affects our capacity to, to sell. Now, with the uh, establishment of the aluminum and steel tariffs, Mexico has retaliated uh, by assessing a fairly significant tariff on cheese, certain cheeses that are popular in Mexico and which we are furnishing to them. And what that essentially does is it eliminates the competitive pricing advantage the U.S. has, has maintained and has had for quite some time since NAFTA was negotiated, because we were able to get product into Mexico with very little, if any, tariffs. Uh, Now we're going to be assessed a tariff that that eliminates that competitive advantage that we've had.
1: So many of these tariffs seem to come back on agriculture, knowing it's a vital part of of feeding the world.
9: Well, I think there are two reasons why agriculture gets uh, in the crosshairs uh, on these tariff discussions. One, agriculture, unlike a lot of other aspects of our economy, actually enjoys a trade surplus with the rest of the world, which means that we sell a lot more agricultural products uh, outside the US than we purchase uh, to bring into the US from other countries. So that surplus is a, a target, if you will, when there is trade discussions and retaliation and tariffs and trade wars and things of that nature. And I think the second reason is that there's an understanding of, of the politics associated with um, with agriculture. Uh, folks know where certain products are are, are produced. Um, and they know the politicians that are involved uh, with those uh, states and those congressional districts, and so they target uh, to basically send a message to Congress um, about the, uh, the the difficulties of, of the of the tariffs that uh, the Trump administration is uh, has announced.
1: We see that July fifth is when they will increase the tariffs. With negotiations, is there the potential that we might not even see that take place?
9: Some of the tariffs have become effective immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens on July 5th is that they increase in in, in amount. Uh, initially, the tariffs range from 10 to 15%, and then they basically ratchet up to 25%. So there's always the hope uh, that at some point in time, uh, something gets negotiated. The problem is that the president has now wrapped, uh, and the administration has wrapped these conversations into the NAFTA discussions. Uh, And that basically complicates both the tariff discussion and the NAFTA discussions. We have always maintained in the dairy industry the importance of maintaining and preserving the market access that we have in Mexico and fixing what is not working very well in Canada with reference to market access and Class Seven pricing. So uh, basically what we've done is we've made a much more complicated circumstance in those negotiations. And I'm not sure that we're going to be able to see resolution of the NAFTA discussions prior to July 5th.
1: Now, at this point, milk hasn't been included in any of this. It's just been cheese, correct?
9: It's just been cheese. But, you know, cheese is the value-added proposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. We don't sell a lot of fluid milk outside the U.S. We sell, obviously, a lot of powder and whey and milk proteins and things of that nature. But really, when you look at the value-added uh, opportunities, cheese is, is at the top of the list. Um, and it's what essentially has fueled... Uh, an, an increase in exports, both in terms of volume and value. Uh, April uh, was our best month ever in terms of dairy exports. Uh, 18.8% of all production was exported. Um, normally, we're in the 14 to 15% range. So we are selling more to the rest of the world. Uh, the rest of the world understands the the quality, the safety, and I think the sustainably uh, pr- sustainable production processes that we use in the U.S., And they're anxious to have U.S. product. Um, We just don't want to put a we don't want to be in a situation where we shoot ourselves in the foot by creating these uh, these trade discussions that make it more difficult.
1: What is the economic impact of these tariffs to the U.S. dairy farmer?
9: Well, uh, you know, it's it's conceivable that it could potentially uh, impact uh, you know twenty five percent of the market that we currently enjoy. Uh, The market is a a billion dollar plus market, so we're talking about potentially. tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of dollars all of that translates into uh instead of a situation where we have robust demand for product which drives prices up and creates more economic opportunity uh you have a depression on the prices.
1: my conversation with tom vilsack i'm susan littlefield on the world radio network
10: Back on the rural radio network, and with us, Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Joe, what uh, happened today in livestock futures?
11: Well, over in the cattle, it was uh, kind of a quiet day, pretty choppy. We got a finish mixed, uh, back and forth. Uh, tried to rally, uh, didn't, couldn't hold it. Uh, but we still ended up mixed. We had a lot of spreading going on once again, buying the front, and selling the back. Haven't heard of any uh, real trade today. But uh, last week's trade ended up around 112 on average, and uh, cutouts were uh, sharply higher today at noon, Uh, kind of a light test at noon, but still uh, sharply higher, and that that held things uh, pretty much together Uh, uh, in the uh, live cattle and the feeder cattle. uh, They kind of uh, profited from the fact that the uh, corn uh, was down under some pressure once again today, and they finished higher even with the uh, triple-digit gain out of uh, the nearby August contract. So positive day for them. Looking over at the uh, hogs, uh, another positive day. Cash, steady to a little bit better. Cutouts have been improving. We're uh, just kind of on a roll right now. And uh, we had uh, some triple-digit gains there by the uh, front two months, the others uh, also coming along. So higher day out of the hogs, mixed out of the cattle.
10: You can reach Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, at 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter today, new estimate, 118,000, same as last Monday, 3,000 more than the same Monday a year ago. Hog slaughter at 415,000, that'd be 31,000 less than last Monday, and 12,000 less than the same Monday a year ago. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
12: The head of the EPA made stops in Kansas, South Dakota, and Nebraska last week. At multiple destinations, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt was met with an unhappy group of agricultural producers. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. In Kansas, a corn grower gave Pruitt an earful, faulting his EPA for the lack of action on expanding the sales of E15 year-round. The next day in South Dakota, farmers and biofuel advocates hosted a rally airing their frustration again on the lack of action regarding E15. Then on Thursday evening, there was a different tone as Pruitt met with Nebraska leaders in Lincoln. As Pruitt spoke to an invite-only group, he defended himself, saying he supports expanding E15 and providing market stability.
13: One, I'm hopeful that we, uh, as an administration, uh, working together to, can provide some certainty in the marketplace. It's needed with respect to the RFS. And, and this issue is a very uh, challenging issue in, in many respects because decisions that are made affect various aspects of our economy, uh, various states across the country. And so I want you to know that unequivocally my commitment is to, to administer the statute and, and seek to provide clarity to you in the marketplace so that you know what's expected of you and you can allocate resources. I know it's very challenging right now uh, in, in the farming and uh, ranching community. I know that there's challenges from a trade perspective. You know, there's uncertainty around NAFTA. There's uncertainty around the situation with China. I mean, there are markets that, that are, you have concerns about, and then you have the uncertainty with respect to the RFS. I understand that. And so part of what I've been doing the last several days is what I've done the last 16 or so months, that's sit down with stakeholders and talk and figure out how we can work together and, and find solutions. Pruitt
12: says the renewable fuel standard volume obligations, which are set to be released later this week,
13: won't be decreased. Uh, Cellulosic is going to be up. Uh, BBD is going to be up. Uh, bio-based diesel, the advanced category is going to be up. Conventional is going to stay at that $15 billion. Those are all good things with respect to this industry that you care about. So Something many
12: in the room care about is expanding the sale of E15. Pruitt admits he supports the move, but it's complicated.
13: I am for the E-15. I think it should occur. I think it makes no sense whatsoever uh, for for this country to face a situation where you can only sell a product uh, product nine months a year. You know, you should be able to do it 12 months a year, and that's going to help volume obligations. I want you to know that, and I've been there several months. In fact, uh, I was in Iowa uh, last fall and shared that with them. Uh, and, and was unapologetic in that regard. The question has been, legally, can we achieve that? Now, I do want to say to you that many think that just by being for something, by being for E15, that you can do it like that. Uh, that's not the case. It's actually a rulemaking process. You have, to propose the, you have to propose this as a rule. You have to take comment, and then you have to respond to those comments and finalize the process. Although
12: Pruitt proclaimed his support for E15 year-round, he says the White House is the one
13: putting a hold on the issue. Now, I've been you know, asked to pause that because, as you know, there was discussion about a package between the export credit and the uh, E15, and that broke down about two weeks ago, and so I, I've been instructed to pause that. But nonetheless, internal, we are continuing preparation just in case you know something comes out of these discussions, uh, whether export credit's gone or not, if, if there's a package that can be put together, we want to be ready to respond uh, to the E15.
12: The meeting at the White House was expected to yield a compromise between the ethanol and oil industries. Instead, little to nothing was reported or unveiled. For more on the administrator's visit to the Cornhusker State, you can visit ruralradio.com. I'm Bryce Duske reporting on the Rural Radio Network.
10: Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, let's start with the hard stuff here, and that's tough to explain maybe, but hard red winter wheat futures uh, fell below at least the July contract, below the May low. Uh, what gives here today?
3: Well, you know, the same kind of factors that were moving corn and beans, just really money flow off bad news is now kind of creeping into the wheat side. You have a very long trade there. So there's two markets of the four big row crop markets that are grown in this country. Corn and beans have fallen, obviously substantially since the 29th of May. In the case of beans, down about a buck forty. In the case of corn, about fifty, sixty cents, depending on the contract. You know, the wheat has not. Wheat has really still stayed in firm. until this really last friday and then today we saw follow through and i imagine we're going to start to see that jenga tower fall um, you know kc could probably fall all the way into the low fours you know i mean before you are really finding some sort of technical support here uh, it'll be interesting to see how we trade tomorrow the weekly charts look like we've broken some trend lines here so you know, somebody sitting watches this stuff all day. It's hard for me not to tell you just short KC because it should catch up. Markets like cotton as well. I know you don't don't cover those, but uh, that's another one that had been bid up here and now is off 10% from its high So we've really seen 10% corrections across the board. Uh, in the case of beans and corn, a little more than that. I, I, I kind of think we'll stay in these levels probably through the first of the month. Um, you know, grain stocks report will be something that I think should be bearish for for Casey wheat, whereas on corn and beans, I think we could see some bullishness there. Um, but again, I, it's the weather seems okay. Um, there really the, the story that that broke it is still intact. I, I doubt we see much more from this, but I would have told you that on Friday after a pretty decent rally on the open Friday morning. Um, I think the biggest thing we have to deal with right now is money flow, and you know, guys who are caught long are now bailing, and I think they've essentially eliminated those positions. And I think we've come to a level where farmers aren't going to sell it as quickly anymore. So, a low should be near.
10: December corn on track to post a new 2018 low.
3: Yeah, no, not contract lows. I, I, I right. noticed you say that. Yeah, we're right there though. 376 was the contract low, but that was printed back in September 2nd of 2016. So we're almost two-year low here on these deferred contracts. You've got uh, 2019 right around four dollars, and again, I mean, I—if we're going to have an economy of any sense that we had two months ago, you know, with the same same buying, same demand, this is where the lows should kick in. If you look at 2019, a whole string of lows going all the way back to the harvest of 2016, I I think the you know that we're close. It's just you know we need some money flow to reverse here, and I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon.
10: Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. So go to their website, DanielsAgMarketing.com.